no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. Today, I'm Dr. Friday, and the doctor is in the house. It is a beautiful Saturday outside. Thank goodness I had time to go out and do some yard work because it is gorgeous. So hopefully you guys are enjoying this weather. And also, it's our favorite time of the year. It's tax time. We are in the midst of the most, well, it seems like the busiest tax season. I don't know if it's just every year gets a little different, but definitely a busy tax season for us here. And I'm sure for a lot of you that are listening, that you are also kind of buried in trying to get your own tax documents together. We have all the changes that are happening with the tax laws, of course, having to make sure we have the advanced child tax credit. We've got the stimulus payments and all those are posted. And I will say many times I have a number of people that have walked in the office and they're like, I got this letter, but I don't remember seeing the 1400. I didn't get it, but I have them go back and start in March and work their way through the system. And so far, every person has found their 14. So in the case that if you're thinking you may or may not have yet received your stimulus from last year, the final, well, I should never say that because you never know, but the third stimulus, which was $1,400, it would have happened from March through, you know, the end of the year is what I tell people. Basically, it would have been March, April, or May in most cases, but to go back through and see and make sure it is also the same situation where it comes down to your, um, um, the money you were you were you supposed to get it you should have received a letter saying how much you received because some people may have earned too much money and did not receive it and in other cases um that it may have went into a bank account that you don't think to look at uh, like a savings it should be in the same bank that you might have had for a refund or a draft um, for auto payments uh, with the IRS. So just keep that in mind. All right, let's hit the phone lines. We've got Steve in my town, Spring Hill. Well, that's what Stephen has to say. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how are you? I am very good. How about yourself? Okay, we have an odd, I guess a slightly odd situation. Um, my late uh, father-in-law had a rental property that he um, he essentially got in its it's a long story with a divorce, but I'll, I'll try to keep that out of it. But um, essentially, he the estate didn't have a lot of money um, and was upside down on this rental property. We got the mortgage company to agree to a short sale, uh, and that was, that was done uh, in January of 2021. So this year, the 1099-C shows up, um, and it's completely wrong. <laughs> it like, basically shows almost the whole amount instead of the amount owed minus minus what they were given. Um, and, you know, we have documentation. Yeah, so it, it would be, a, it, most likely it's a 1099S, and I know we all have, there's so many freaking 1099s, but it would have been a um, real estate sale. And what they're going to show on there is the amount that was the original sale, not what he received, but it should show the total amount of what the original sale price was. Then you're going to, on the, on the Schedule D, you would show the 1099S original sale, and then you're going to back out all of the original cost the closing cost fees, um, because what the loan on a property doesn't necessarily mean 
that that was what he paid. I mean, someone could have went in, refinanced, took more money out, but they may have only paid a hundred, but because of the appreciation, they got, you know, had 200. Now I don't know, you know, this situation, but you need to know how much he paid originally for the house, even if it was a mortgage or whatever. And then the closing cost fees he paid at that time. And then when it sold, there would have been closing cost fees at that time. And it sounds like he should be a negative. It should be that he's upside down, that he didn't sell it for as much as he paid for it. Or if I'm misunderstanding, at least the difference will only be what he would have had in capital gains. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like so, I said, it yeah, was, it's a little bit, there's a few more moving but... parts than just, yeah. So what you want to do is kind of start with the 1099 S and I'm not saying it's not wrong. What I'm saying is it should be what the, uh, the price was when, on the closing doc. So how much do you sell okay. it for? It should be what's in that box. Um, okay. if it's not, you need to call the closing agent and see not, it really has nothing to do with what your father would have received or did not receive. Cause again, on a short sale, sometimes in those cases, we're actually physically upside down, meaning we had the house, it was worth 200,000. We sold it for 175. So we lost 25,000 on that scenario. But, right. um, you know, if, if you need help, give us a call or I can walk you through. It's a little hard on the radio, obviously, because I'm throwing a lot at you, but, yeah. um, but there is, you, you would need to know how much your father-in-law or if at the time he was married, but what did they pay for that home originally? And then since it was a rental, there's also another step, which is the recapture of depreciation. And then what did he sell it for? You're going to need all of those pieces to be able to put together the tax return. Okay. Thank you. Okay. No problem, buddy. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. That's probably not an easy one. All right. Let's go to Don in the borough. Hey, Don, what's happening? Hey, how are you doing? I am awesome. How about yourself? I'm not too bad. Beautiful Saturday here. I got a quick question for you. Okay. So, so I'm I'm doing a relative's taxes who did it mm -hmm. paper return last year, and I'm going to e-file. I know I got the AGI correct because I have a copy of the return. And but, uh, um, if they did it by paper rejected. last year, I'm gonna stop you right now. If they did it by paper last year, the the likeliness is it's still not processed. So under the AGI, put zero. Okay. And then try to e-file. Okay, we'll do. All right, boss. Thanks. Yeah, that's something the IRS came back with. Appreciate the call, Don. Uh, but that's what the IRS came back with on all of us, because a lot of us, um, in some cases, you know, we get new clients, and obviously our software doesn't have to work with AGI. But the IRS came back and said specifically because we were, and this was back when there was like 10 million. I think the last I heard was six. They may be down to four million returns that were not processed, and especially paper returns, guys. I am, oh, we we need to stop doing paper returns. I know some of you guys, you know, that's the way you've always done it. It's the way it is. But in all fairness or all honesty, the IRS is no different than a lot of us. It's a lot easier for us to receive email, texts, and, and faxes because they convert into digital files for us than it is to try to receive an envelope full of, um, you know, of, of just paperwork because a lot of times there's just tons of paperwork we have to go through. So the IRS the same way. So if you have the option like maybe having this young man that you have in the family, someone that maybe is comfortable with filing taxes. And it's, you know, some of these tax returns are pretty straightforward, but have them do them and e-file them. If you still want to pay 
the, with a check if you owe money. Again, I'm not overly excited about that because we had two cases in my office alone where the checks were mailed, but in neither case did they certify them, which if you're going to mail a check, make sure you get tracking so you have proof that the IRS received it on time because if they lose that check, they're not going to waive penalties or interest because you, you said that you mailed them a check. It's not going to happen. So you need to make sure if you're going to mail money to the IRS that that money is certified so that you have proof that they've received it and their office on time, which means this year by 418. I'm not a big one that goes with the whole thing that says that it needs to be um um, you know, it used to be when I first started my practice 20 plus years ago, we used to go on the 15th of April and mail out a ton of stuff. We would wait until 10 o'clock at night, wait in line and send out a ton of clients checks and paperwork. Well, now that's not the case. They, if they look at it, if it's due 418, you need to have it at their location by 418. Again, 99% of you guys listening, I'm hoping that you would go to irs.gov, click on pay and send the money electronically, either through your check or through a credit card and pay it online. So you have documentation that it was done on time and that the money was received. But if you are paper check kind of person, be sure you mail it out a few days in advance and you send it certified. So we have proof of when it was received. If we don't have that, the IRS, I don't care. We have tried the arguments. Well, you know, we put it in the mail, but if you don't have proof of going in the mail and that check is not received or processed on time, because even if you put it in the mail and they get it three or four weeks later somehow by, you know, whatever, then they're going to say that you filed it late. You don't have any proof that they received it on time. So very important. Uh, those penalties, you know, for failure to pay on time can be, well, I think it's basically 5% a month up to 25%. So, you know, it doesn't take long to be at 25% of what you owe. And those penalties just hurt. And that doesn't include the interest that's almost 8%. So, you know, uh, penalties with the IRS, not something you want to play with. You want to make sure that you have the documentation to protect yourself. So e-file if you can, pay electronically if you can. And if neither of those are options, certify tax returns and payments at, you know, to the IRS. So we have documentation. So if they come back and say they've never received it, you have proof. And I would document that, um, at least a lot of people that's in my profession, you want to put on the name of whose paperwork and label on it, 1040 or attach behind it. If you're sending in 12 tax returns in the certified envelope list of name of each person that's got it in there, uh, you know, each person's paperwork that is in there. We ran into a situation for some late filings of 941s at one point in our office, and we had proof of filing them, but they did not have the person's name on the label. Well, because there was like 90 of them in there. So we learned the lesson very quickly that we need to, if there's more than one person, if you can't just put the name on the label, you know, in the memo section to attach something behind that has a documented list. The IRS is getting harder and harder to waive penalties, even if you think you have the proof. Um, you know, I, I really had one come back and say, how do we know what was in that envelope? Um, and I get it. The IRS is used to most people basically, you know, lying or I, I suppose cheating and, and that, but I'm going to be quite honest with you. Most of us like to think that the IRS would take our word. Hey, I have no reason necessarily. I mean, I have a label. I have proof that there was something mailed to your office. How do you prove that it isn't um, uh, what I tell you it is? But, you know, again, the proof does fall on us as the 
uh, tax people. So you want to make sure that you have the documentation that you, you need to have and it, and it is where it is and what it should be. So if you want to join the show, you can 615-737-9986, we will be taking a quick break, our first break for the radio. So if you want to join 615-737-9986, I'm Dr. Friday, an enrolled agent licensed by the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and represent and we'll be right back with my show. All righty, we are back here live in studio. So if you have got a question, you don't have to. You can call us 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. Let's look, uh, talk to Pete in Scottsville. Hey, Pete. Hey, uh, I have a question. I, I am looking at building a house, and I own a piece of property, and am considering trading that to the people who are going to be building the house for, like, the lumber package and the labor on that. How would I go about doing that, or what ramifications are there to doing that? Well, the biggest thing is trade. The IRS considers that still income. So in theory, you'd have to have a value to it that they would have to provide to you because it, you would have to first pay tax on that to turn around and use it um, for an expense like building a house or lumber or whatever. Okay. Because we, we do all that with after tax or loan money. So if you're selling them that in exchange, you know, I mean, in theory, you need to report that as income. Okay. So... I would just turn that in as that I received certain value from them for that lot. Yep. Yep. All right. And then you, you would pay capital gains or, you know, whatever it is on the, uh, on the dis difference and maybe a wash as far as I know, you know, I don't know your situation, but that way then that would account for the money you've paid them. And then that would add to the value of the home you're building. Right. All right. Thank you. No problem. Appreciate the call. All right. Let's go to Lisa in Nashville. Hey, Dr. Friday. Question about earned income credit. Uh-huh. Um, it's showing I'm doing our taxes currently on H&R Block software just to try to see where we're at. And it's showing our total earned income credit is only 30000 And so the earned income credit is $2,409. And my question is, um, you know, apparently we qualify going through the process and asking the questions. I have a child that's disabled and it, you know, it, so he still qualifies as a child, you know, a dependent, even though he's 22. So I also get paid with 1099 and have to do the self-employment tax and all that. But mm -hmm. I've never had to do quarterly filings and make payments because we always had enough um, my husband always paid in enough to cover it where I didn't have to do quarterly mm -hmm. so this year since strange. his salary was well since his salary was so low we he didn't pay in anything but this mm -hmm. earned income credit still makes us end up getting a refund back so will that still prevent me from having to do quarterly filings? 
In theory, yes. Um, I mean, you know, as long as you don't owe money and you're paying in enough every year, but um, I don't know how your situation will change or not change. If he starts making more money, your income could go up, you know, your husband, or maybe he's, you know, I don't know your situation, but at this point they shouldn't hit you with a penalty because you did have enough paid in and it should hold off quarterlies. It probably will kick out 1040 ES because they don't know if next year is going to be the same scenario. Um, you're somewhat close when you're around 30, you're in the midst of the, the prime area for earned income credit. Um, you know, uh, so you, you may be careful on, uh, not paying or at least setting aside a little money, um, to, to have that set aside. And I'll be honest, I don't do a lot of earned income and I did not know if you had a child that was 22 disabled or not, that they qualified for earned income credit. But that is something I'm taking your word on because I'm assuming the, the software is telling you it does. Well, I've got another child that's, uh, nine, just turned 19 and he's still in college. Okay, I don't know sense. if that's okay. That child <laughs> so would be so the I'm reason that you're getting the him. earned in. Huh? Okay. So that so I that's think, the child. I, I thought it would be the older child that was qualifying us, but it's the younger child. Yes, the younger child is the one that's still qualifying you. And that means next okay. year when he hits 20, that child will not qualify you. Okay. So we need to make sure we're holding out more for next year because he's going to be getting pension and hopefully Social Security as well because he's 62. So... We just need to make sure that they're going to be holding money out of those. His salary was so low that it didn't kick in to even with to withhold anything because it was only $16,000. So I, I'm fibbing to you right now. So apparently, just to clarify, I had, again, I don't specialize in doing a lot of earned income. So, uh, But it qualifies a child that is either under the age of 19 or under 24 and a full-time student or any age for a totally permanently disabled individual. So it is okay. probably, well, because you, I, the ones in college, so you may be getting a little for both children, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. one, I think you said was 19, but in college. Right. Right. Or no. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the one that is permanently disabled. Uh, so you will be getting EIC for both of them. And as long as your 19 year old stays in college at your income, assuming that um, there may be some fees that are paid, it, you may be getting college credit as well. Yeah, there is. I, that's part of it as well. So, uh, yes. but so, I was just so, afraid sorry. it was going to kick me into Owen quarterly. Filing, yeah, I think it know, sounds like you should be in pretty good shape as long as your income stays around that dollar amount. And again, I'm not sure about the max, but I want to say the the prime area is between like 25 and 35. If you go up to 45, I think it stops. And if you go below 25, I think it reduces it down uh, to, you know, to a minimal um, number system there. But, um, but it sounds like Right now, as long as your income is pretty much the same lease, I think you're going to be fine without having to worry about it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. No problem. Thank you. Right. Appreciate you. All right. Let's hit Gene. Gene in Nashville. Hey, bud, what's happening? Hello, Dr. Friday. I always enjoy your one-minute moments. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, two questions. I uh, lost a job at the end of last year. And if I, uh, that meant we went on to a healthcare marketplace exchange uh, insurance program. 
assuming I land a W-2 job later this year or sometime soon, I need to go in and update my income that they base the tax credit on, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. Yes, sir. All right. And before I get that W-2 job, I have two 1099 jobs that require me to drive to the location to perform the jobs. Since I have two of them, I should be able, I think, to deduct mileage to both. Theoretically, the IRS considers from our home to the first location in a self-employed is commuting because you would have to commute if your job requires, again, you know, depends on the type of profession. But from that point, any driving you do after that would be considered business. All right. So one of the jobs is always on a Sunday. I think you can guess what Uh that one probably is. And the other one is Monday through Friday. Last year, I deducted the Sunday as a second job. Uh, even though mm-hmm. I had a W-2 job on Monday through mm-hmm. Friday. Sure. What do you think? Well, I think, yes. And if it's a Sunday job that I'm thinking, it may be if you can't write off standard miles, you could write off um, char- um, basically charitable miles because you're, it sounds like you might be working on a Sunday, maybe in a religious situation. I could be that wrong is completely. Who knows? Um, yeah. So either way, I think you would be able to pull the miles. And we would want the miles ideally on the 1099. You know what I mean? Because that they, that way you'd reduce self-employment as well as um, ordinary income tax. That's the perfect place. So, um, you know, but I will tell you, if you're ever audited and, and that Sunday trip from home to, if you're going from home to church, they're going to say that the church is your place of business. Therefore, from home to church is commuting. Now, if you went from home to church and then you went and saw some of the practitioners or people around your area that you were servicing, that would be legitimate. Just sharing okay. that. No problem. I appreciate it. We'll do more research. No Thank problem. you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Bye. Okay. And if he, he may want, you know, G, you know, Gene, if you're still listening, you may want to talk to the church and see if they could put you on a W-2. Now, I don't know if you're a licensed, uh, uh, an actual, pre- uh, I don't know, they call them, I'm Catholic, so we call them priest, uh, minister um, or not. But if you, because um, then we have the housing allowance, which helps a lot with my, my people that do service the communities like yourself. So it might be something to think about with them. And I don't know, again, it may be that you're the music director. I don't know. So, um, but that is an option um, if you are actually practicing under uh, ministry. So that is great questions. And we are doing awesome here. Look at this. We're flying through the show. We're already almost halfway through. So if you want to join the show, you can 615-737-9986. For you that may not know who I am, um, we've been on the radio now almost. We're working into our 13th year, lucky 13. Um, I am an enrolled agent licensed by the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation, which basically means under the um, tax code, you are entitled to representation. And that representation needs to be somebody like an enrolled agent or, uh, uh, or, or an attorney. Um, either one can represent you to be sure you can get yourself out of IRS issues. It's that simple. So if you haven't filed taxes for a number of years, if you haven't, um, you get a bunch of love letters from the IRS and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. It's just like burying me. So I'm just throwing them in a drawer. We need to talk because there are many different options you have out there. Some 
some of them you may not like, but you will hear the truth from me. I'm not going to first thing say, hey, you need to pay me this much money. And then we're going to see if we can help you out. We're going to figure out what's going to work out first, you know, at a reasonable fee. And then we'll talk about how we're going to pay for offering compromise or an installment agreement or whatever. You need to know what you're paying for. Don't just get on one of those phone calls with, I mean, there's people and half the time you're talking to someone in a whole different state. I mean, you really kind of need to have someone you can do a face to face with at times. So make sure you're dealing with somebody that you can actually deal with. So if you need help, you can always call my office on that. But right now, if you want to join the show, if you've got a question about your taxes, about maybe something that's happened, maybe you've inherited or you sold some property, we have done more home sales this year than I think I've done in the history of any one year in the last 23 years of doing taxes. So if you've got a question, 615 737-9986 number here in the studio and we're going to be right back with the Dr. Friday show. Alrighty, I am back live here in studio. So if you want to join us, you can 615 615- Seven three seven nine nine eight six six one five seven three seven nine nine eight six. Hubie, I think is the name. I may have completely mutilated your name. I'm so sorry. In Lebanon, hey. Hello, I'm here. This is Hubie. Hey. This is Hubie. Am I saying your name right? Oh, okay. No, cool. you absolutely said it correctly. So good, good <laughs> on you for that. So here, here's what's going on. Um, my daughter is 22 years old, and she is going to college part-time. She is working part-time, but I know that she is going to be leaving the state and moving to Washington in August. Um, would this okay. still be a situation where I get to claim her on my taxes? Well, if she's going to college there, the answer would be yes, because that's still considered your you're dependent if she is making $20,000. Yes. And, and she lives with me right now. She lives with you. When she moves to Washington, is she moving on campus or moving to an apartment where she will be attending full-time college or part-time? I mean, it's not like you said, maybe part-time and working. How much will she be earning? Do you know? Well, well, uh, I think she's going to, with her part-time work, um, I think she's probably going to make around 20000 this year. Um, she works as a, um, a pharmacy, pharmacy tech, and she works about 20 to 25 hours a week. Well, I will say if she's making $20,000, the IRS will consider her her own. Um, she's not your dependent. Not to say that you okay. are not supporting her, but I don't know if you would actually meet the 50% care even though we both know that you probably could. Uh, but all in all, I, that's the, the second part of that conversation would be if she's making 20000 most likely she is supporting herself, even though dad's probably sending money every week. Um, but yeah, okay. that's where the tax law reads. Sorry. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and listen, I know it's kind of a cliche. Yes, I'm a first-time caller, but I am a long-time listener. I always look forward to your show on Saturday when I'm out and about. Well, I appreciate it. Seriously, I always love the fact that you guys actually still listen to me. So thank you so much. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, you too. All right, let's hit Jason in Nashville. Hey, Jace. Hey, how you doing? 
I'm pretty good. How about you? Good, good. Thanks for taking the call here. Um, I've got a question. We're a company that's new to the Nashville area. Um, we started a new LLC, but even though the company is, is based here in Nashville, it's a Nevada corporation. Um, are you mm-hmm. someone that can help us uh, with our taxes, or do we need to find someone in Nevada to do that? No, um, no. Uh, did you guys actually, I mean, you said you're new. So have you, we do all states, just to let you know. I, I have several people that have Nevada. Most of the time, it's my people coming out of California that like to do Nevada corporations trying to uh, work their way around that $800 a month, a year F&E tax. But um, that being said, is the business actually running out of Nashville? Do we, I mean, one of the things you might need to consider if, if the answer is yes, and you don't have the answer on the radio or anything, but if the answer is yes, there is a foreign status, so you can keep it as a Nevada corporation, but you would actually register here as well. That would be something we'd have to, uh, you know, we can talk about off the radio, but um, but sure, we, we do Nevada corporations. They're pretty straightforward, actually. Um, that's why people love Nevada and Delaware and a couple of places like that. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yes. So you, you exactly right. We were you come from California area. And then, uh, so that's what we're doing. So uh, that, that, that's perfect. I will definitely be in touch with you and, and, uh, no worries. Uh, sooner, sooner than later. Thank you very much. Yeah. And Jace, uh, just so you know, yeah. you might need to make sure you give us a call early in the week because LLCs, if their partnerships do have to be filed by March 15th or they're late, we can file an extension. They don't have to actually have to, the returns, but you do need an extension filed by the 15th if we can't get it done on time. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. All righty. And that's all for, for all my listeners. If you have a partnership, a 1065, an 1120S, um, some corporations, 1120s, 1041s, um, and even some 990s, they, I mean, if they're, if they're working under calendar years, those entities usually are due, definitely the 1065, 1120S, are due by March 15th, which that's like 10 days from today. So if you haven't yet filed, then you need to make sure an extension has been filed. Now, we in our office, many times we start filing extensions in February just to cover ourselves. If we get them done, who cares? You did an extension and you filed your taxes on time. But in many cases, if you don't, the penalties can be quite stiff, to be quite honest, several thousand dollars. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have someone file the extension so that you don't get hit with a penalty. Then you have theoretically until September to file the return. But we do have to make sure F&E is filed by 415. So there are certain dates and deadlines that you want to live up to and you want to make sure that you're hitting those. Um, so you have some in- interesting situations. So just don't want to be late. All right. I do want to share something that came in from the IRS. We always get these news releases and this may be helpful not so much for us here in town because the open office is in Knoxville, but maybe worth the drive to Knoxville if you're having some serious problems. Face-to-face IRS help available in more than 30 cities on Saturday, March the 12th. One week from today, guys, one week from today, the Internal Revenue Service today announced that many tax assistant centers will offer face-to-face Saturday help without an appointment from 9 to 4 
And if this is something you you really need to do a face-to-face with the IRS, you might want to get in the car and drive up there, but nine to four, and I'm pretty sure they are not going to stay open later. Uh, being open on select Saturdays is offering people to get help that they need when they need it, said IRS wage and investment division commissioner and tax experience officer Ken Corbin, who knows what many taxpayers work during the week and have obligations that they're unable to do. People can also ask about reconciling advanced child tax credit payments. You receive help resolving tax problems, pay tax bills on the IRS or, or deal with an IRS audit. If the assistance from the IRS employee specialized in these events is not available, the individual will receive a referral to a staff member that they can then get help. Guys, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And if you feel like I do sometimes when you really need a face, a human being to deal with the issues, this may be the section at the time or the place that you want to do this because it is or may come down to a very important uh, situation. There are um, in, in the office they have open for us in Tennessee is in Knoxville. So um, if you want more information on that, you can, um, you can probably email my office. That's not a problem. We'd be more than glad to help you, um, find that information out. But again, the office information that we have is in Knoxville and the address in Knoxville, and it's only Knoxville, nothing in Nashville, this, at least this Saturday, it's 710 Locust Street, Knoxville, Tennessee. So again, next Saturday, nine to four, if you have IRS issues that you really just need to talk to a human being, that office is open. I would definitely suggest planning to get there early. Uh, I would, I would picture people lining up, um, to be able to get in to talk to people and expect to spend the entire day doing it because I mean, I know how many times I have sat on the phone for hours and felt like I have not done anything all day because I didn't get any resolution. Either the people I talked to didn't have the ability to help or I got hung up on, or I waited three hours and they say they don't have the ability to, you know, they're too busy. Um, Someone will get back with you. It, it, it is a bit frustrating. So this may be one of those weekends where you decide you're going to drive to Knoxville and you're going to try to find out face to face, somebody prints out something for you so that you could make it work. It's very important that you get that kind of resolution if you can. So again, that's, um, that's next Saturday, nine to four at the uh, Knoxville location. So if you have a friend or you need more information, I'll be more than glad to forward you this email we received from the IRS to share that information. If you want to join the show or you've got a question, um, 615-737-9986, taking your calls, talking about all my favorite subjects, which is taxes and all the things that go along with it. Um, but if you, uh, you know, you have children that you're filing taxes, I do usually suggest people have heard me say this before. If you're claiming the kids, maybe you need to file your taxes before you file the kids. That's not always the case. I mean, obviously, as long as you know what you're doing, you make sure you check the proper box on the children's tax returns. So that way then, um, you can claim them as your dependent doesn't hold you up. I think the only year that was really bad with that was 2020 when a lot of college kids went online, not realizing when they went in and registered for the stimulus that they ended up with a situation that they were actually filing zero tax returns. And that messed up 
my parents, uh, at least the, the, the deals or the cases that we're in. So um, again, that was more like a 2020 issue, but you know, Every year, so always seems to be a bit of a challenge. So um, if you want to join the show, we're going to be down to our last section, um, about eight minutes after we take this next break. And the phone number here in studio, 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. Maybe you have someone that has, like I said, you've sold something, you've inherited something, and you're not exactly sure how it's going to affect your taxes, um, especially with real estate sales, because some of that is not black and white. You know, you always hear long-term capital gains, 15%, but we all know that's not always true. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take to your phone calls and I'll go ahead and take a quick break right now. This is Dr. Friday and we'll be right back. All righty, we are back with the last part of the show. So if you have any questions, now would be the time, 615-737-9986. And Kathy was nice enough to hold the break. So Kathy in Tennessee. Hey, Kath. Hey, how are you doing? I am good. What can I do for you? I am the administrator of my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's estate, and I filed their 2020 taxes in 2021. And sent them in in April, got them back in September because I did not sign them correctly. Sent them back mm-hmm. in in September, and every I still go on IRS, and still nothing shows up. Should I wait? Should I send them back in certified mail? Um, I I would I would send them back in certified mail, um, but I will tell you they probably have the first one. But at least this way, if you didn't send it certified. I would be, um, you know, this way, you know, they've received them right uh, for the second time. And um, you, you can just hold on to that receipt of, and so that way you just put in the paperwork and cause it could take them another six months to process uh, those returns. And we, we have the same problem. So we just always make sure we send them in, like you said, certified. So that way we can just put them away because right now I'm finding that any two returns that we mail in is taking at least six months. We sometimes will get a letter two to three months asking for more time to process reading. They really haven't done anything. They're just looking for a bit more time. Um, But yeah, so uh, that would be my suggestion if you were um, my client. Okay. Let me ask you one other thing because these have not been processed and I've gotten a couple of things where some debt was written off, but you know, it's considered income. So do I need to go ahead and file on that because I received those in 2021? Well, you're going to need to file a different return, um, you know, because the first return wasn't for 2021, right? Right. Or was it? It was for 2020. Yeah, it, was, it, like it was 2020. So you're going to need to file another one for 2021 on the 1099Cs or 1090, yeah, 99, I think that's what it is, where you um, got a credit card that waved in, they turned it in. Now, not mm-hmm. knowing your situation, there are hardship filings that can waive the tax on those, depending on if the person had the ability to pay or not. Um, you may want to look into that to make sure you don't pay tax or pay on, you know, pay on credit cards that you got waived because you couldn't afford or they couldn't afford to pay them. Um, and then, okay. 
you know, so there is exclusions for those for some people, not for everybody. Sometimes people get a deal, but theoretically they didn't have enough debt according to the IRS, but, um, or cash flow. And it may be in your case though, it sounds like there, there could be extenuating circumstances where the cash flow or the debt was too high to cover. Okay. I don't know. Okay. All so right. You, well, you know, thank but you. yes, I'll give me a call or that. let me know. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Kathy. Appreciate oh, it. Uh huh. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. All right. Let's hit Pete. Pete in Nashville. Hey, how you doing? That's funny. I am doing awesome. What's happening, bud? I got about four or five quick questions to ask you. All right. Okay. First, the three hundred dollar um uh what's that uh, deduction cash charitable? deduction that yeah charitable is this the last year for it? Right this second, it did not get extended past uh, the 300 for individuals, 600 for married. It is not in permanent tax law. So I would I would suggest if you're working on 2022 for tax planning, I'm going to think they're going to keep it out there, but I don't have any guarantees. So plan accordingly. Okay. And then the uh, IMD, uh, the age limit, which was raised to 72, no talk on raising it to 75, right? Uh, not yet. I mean, I haven't read the whole build back better thing, but I'm thinking they're going to want to do it earlier, not later. So I don't think they're going to take it to 75. No. Okay. And, and for the RMD um, distribution on your tax uh, form, I think uh, line four is the IRA distribution. Does that uh, cover all that, the 401k and the 453 and all that? Right. Anything that falls that under like an IRA, but yes, they will all fall on that. And I think the other one is like annuities and pensions, the one below it. So everything will, will fall under that, right? That is correct. All of the others, yes. Okay. And my last question is, um, when doing your taxable, once you get to your taxable income and you go to the table, uh, does that amount in the booklet, does that match what they have on the e-file when they calculate it automatically? It should. Um, I will be quite honest with you, love. It's been a number of years since I have done any kind of book calculating. Um, you know, um, we've, we've pretty much went on to computers. So it should. I mean, I would say there's a slight rounding difference because I know when people do paper returns, a lot of times they'll do dollars and cents, not saying you do or don't. But the IRS only does it in whole dollars. So anything that's 49 cents or below would be, you know, the, the smaller and then anything over 50 would go up to another, the next number. They don't use change. Um, and so the same thing when we pay, but other than that, the slight rounding difference, other than that, you should be spot on. I would think. Well, you know, like say if you had like 30,000 and the first, what, 20,000 is like 10%. You, you got 10 and you got 12, 12. right? Well, you actually have 12, okay. but you, you know, you had the first, I mean, depending on where you're at looking on the tax return, first thing you'll have is your standard deduction that you back out, right? And then you get to the mm-hmm. actual AGI, the actual taxable income. And at that, um, you know, it is theoretically a progressive tax code, right? So, you, I mean, you you might be in the 12% tax bracket, but your effective tax rate may be 4.5 of your, of your actual adjusted gross income. So, I mean, I don't think if you just take that number and multiply it by 12, I think you're going to overpay uh, the taxes. But if you've got a book and I don't do they still make the old books where it basically says if you look on it and you take your finger and you go across, I'm single with zero. This is what my taxable yeah, income uh-huh. is. Is that still yeah. printed? 
Oh, okay. Uh -huh. I honestly didn't know that. I mean, at one point, I know they stopped mailing them out to some of my clients, but I didn't know if you could actually order one. So yeah, that book should be correct. It should be correct without a problem. Okay. All right. Thank you, Dan. Hey, no worries, mate. I appreciate you. No All righty. So we are getting to the end of the show. And so when it comes to this, I'm just going to give you guys some basic information. First, I am Dr. Friday, an enrolled agent licensed by the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation. So again, if you're in a situation where you need help either dealing with back taxes, dealing with current tax issues, getting letters, getting a, I had an unusual situation last week where um, someone came in and she didn't owe any money, but a tax levy had been put against her because, uh, and they thought it was because of something else and it doesn't make sense. So making sure that the IRS is levying you for your money, not taking money off of your paycheck just because they, um, they can. And I know in this case, they tried for two different days to stop it, but you know, there are ways, there are offices. I, um, the tax advocate office is an awesome organization. I know everyone doesn't love the IRS or I don't know if it, if love is a strong word, but you know, the fact is we have to learn to live with the IRS and the situations that go with it. But if you have a situation where you cannot deal or you're in the midst of someone trying to take your paycheck, I definitely tell you right now, you need to make sure that you are following up with the um, with the IRS. And if you can't go to the tax advocate office, they um, and you can't always walk straight in, but there is a 911 form. You can Google it. It will give you the possibility or the ability to fax over a form to their office and they will get to it as fast as possible. I know they're probably running 30 or 45 days behind, but when you get someone, you will actually get a human. It is a uh, it's a nice way of trying to resolve the issue sometimes when we can't resolve them ourselves. So also, if you would like to reach my office, you can call Monday morning at 615-367-0819, 615-367-0819. You can also email Friday at drfriday.com, Friday at drfriday.com. I will tell you if you've called, um, I'm probably running about 24 hours behind in returning phone calls. So if you called on Friday, I'll probably get to you by Monday. Um, and um, same thing with emails. I will probably try to get through all those this weekend. Uh, but if you need to get to me again, Friday at drfriday.com or call 615 367-0819. You can also figure out who I am by going to drfriday.com on the internet. It will tell you a little bit more about who I am. I will tell you the calendar is full at this point. Uh, so if you're on there looking, I don't, uh, there may be one or two, um, slots open, but most of them are probably fully booked. So if you are a returning client to Dr. Friday Tax and Financial Firm, um, again, we will um, always have an opening for returning clients. So um, just give us a call on Monday and we'll get you scheduled. Or if you've left a message, we'll get back with you and, and get you scheduled for a tax appointment. I hope you guys are truly enjoying this Saturday. It is an absolutely beautiful day outside. It's so nice to actually have some of these. I think it kind of makes you feel like springtime is coming so i hope you guys enjoy this saturday and i hope that you um just you know have a good time stay safe and if you like listen to our uh, show again next saturday we'll be live here and like we say caught you later <laughs>